Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. No wonder that you guys can never get this thing during the week. <laughs> if I would ever think to turn it on, maybe, maybe you could listen to it if you'd so desire anyway. Anyway, the chapters going forward are about serious moral problems in the church. And some of these things are pretty graphic. I, we just can't apologize for the way the Bible says things, though, can we? It says them in pretty clear terms, so that's the way we're going to deal with it. Uh, <clears throat> but starting here in uh, chapter 5, the title in my book is Sexual Immorality Defiles the Church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of the kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, remember, Paul wasn't there. This is a letter he wrote. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit, as if present. I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? Clean out the old leaven so that you may be a new lump, just as you are, in fact, unleavened. For Christ, our Passover, also has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us celebrate the feast not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote you in my letter not to associate with immoral people. I did not at all mean with the immoral people of this world, or with the covetous and swindlers, or with idolaters, for then you would have to go out of the world. But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he is an immoral person, or covetous, or an idolater, or a reviler, or a drunkard, or a swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those who are within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Remove the wicked man from among yourselves. Thanks. We'll backtrack here, starting with question number one. Does anybody need a study guide? Everybody got one? Um, Question number one, how did Paul communicate the seriousness of the sin that affected the Corinthian church. I'm going to answer that one for you very directly. He didn't, he didn't beat around the bush. He didn't apologize for it. He very directly confronted the problem there. What shocked him about the church's response? Arrogant. Let's let's. Uh, what's the uh, 
pop culture term for that kind of stuff. Let's drill a little deeper on that one, on how that arrogance manifested itself. Because this is really the issue here. How did their, their arrogance about this sinful behavior manifest itself? Well, they were excusing the behavior, making excuses. Almost like they thought judgment was below them, you know, like we can do whatever. Because obviously they're not doing anything about it. Yeah. yeah. In Hosea chapter 5, verse 4, it says, their deeds will not allow them to return to their God. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's good. Yes. Good. In verse 6, it says they're even boasting about it. So it's not even like they're ignoring it or just, but they're proud of it. Yeah. I, I didn't catch that when I studied this at home until just now. Bingo. All these things are excellent answers to how this was being leaven spoiling this church. You know, the fundamental problem was much bigger than this man's sin, whoever he was. But it was the church's failure to deal with it. And, and just as you said, not only to not deal, but to be proud of the fact. They were, I think they were trying to they were trying to do what we see happening in the liberal church today with these exact same sins. I was just getting ready to say... Go ahead and say it. I mean, I was just getting ready to say, in our own churches along Church Road, Green River, Great Big Signs, Rainbow Colors, All Are Welcome, <clears throat> all of that, just, we should... I'm not saying that we would not allow a transgender or a gay person in our church. That's not what we're talking about. But they're promoting that lifestyle, that it's okay. What do you all think about that? It's evil. Is that, what's that word again? Evil. It is evil. It is evil. And this is one of my high horse mm -hmm. subjects in the church today. You know, we talked about it last week. Mm -hmm. You know, those churches consider the, themselves very loving. Mm -hmm. And they would, they would throw that in the face of a Bible-believing church like ours, that we would be harsh and judgmental. I wish that every person living these kinds of lifestyles attended here so they would hear the truth that we would not accommodate it and you know what i said last week i asked some questions and i think it's a good thing to kind of uh maybe a framework to kind of get in our minds would it be a good thing would it be a loving thing to encourage someone to commit murder no, it would. Matter of fact, it would be an evil thing. Would it be a good thing or a loving thing to encourage someone to be an adulterer? No. Would it be a good thing or a loving thing?
to encourage someone to lie. These are all things God condemns. Some of them condemns them to the point of death. They're that serious a sin. Now, it's true that all sin separates us from God, but all sins aren't equal. Some sins punishable by death, some sins punishable by a grain offering or whatever. God doesn't see them all the same in that context anyway. So why is it that these sins in this church got to pass? Because the leaders in the church allowed it. They did. And they were arrogant about thought that that was showing just what a uh, forgiving, loving church they were. We don't know exactly what their motivation was, but it was wrong. It was wrong-headed. Just as the liberal church today flies the rainbow flag. Marianne and I were in St. Louis a few months ago visiting our son, who is a librarian at uh, what's it, Webster University, Marianne, on the west side of St. Louis. And in that area around that university... There are probably six or eight churches, kind of old, storied-looking churches, big stone buildings and that, and almost every one of them was flying a rainbow flag or had a door with the rainbow painted on it, and it said, welcome. I thought, that's a good thing that they'd be welcome, but we know that that's not what's being taught once they get in here, Mm -hmm. that it's okay. They are condoning that lifestyle that... The Corinthians were doing, and Paul scolding them for us. God, God the Holy Spirit, is scolding them for their licentiousness and evil heart in that. It's actually pride on the part of the church to do that. We want to show you how much we love you. No, you don't. You don't. It's also a fear of man. It's cultural assimilation. The pressure of the world around and the desire to be accepted in our culture and world pushed many church leaders to just assimilate and to try to make God's word palatable rather than just standing on truth um, and being okay with being misunderstood or disliked or even hated. Yeah. Um, but that's tough. That's tough. I think, I don't remember if it was John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Alistair Begg, one of those brilliant scholars said, the church has a gnawing the, the church today has a gnawing desire to be liked by the culture. Yes. Whereas, Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. That's our objective. That's our objective in being here. I don't know where it is in one of the Gospels, but Jesus is talking. It just came to me when you were reading that. They hated me. They're going to hate you. I, don't, I know I've butchered that. but No, that's that's good paraphrase. Seymour paraphrase. <laughs> <laughs> So jumping down to question three, which I think was really where we were supposed to start today, uh, why is church discipline such an unusual thing in the church today? And you know we practice it here. But why is it unusual? We've already kind of already answered this, haven't we? I think a 
about an experience I went through. I was at a church where somebody was in leadership that was actively living a lifestyle of the LGBTQ, and it wasn't addressed like we do here at Faith Bible. It was let to continue, and the reasoning was, well, there's nobody else stepping up to lead the youth and lead this. Oh, my gosh. And, like, just seeing what happened to that church and what happened to me, like, in that church, like, it's just so, so sad. Mm -hmm. Like, that memory of my time at that church is so sad. But then I got brought to this church, and I saw church discipline, and I was, like, shocked by how godly that is. Mm -hmm. And just to see that uh, dichotomy is, is just a lot for me. Yeah. But it's good to see both sides. Yeah, and we're going to dig into that the whole purpose and how that church discipline manifests itself and works itself out as we work our way through the questions here. So I don't want to get too far ahead. I tend to do that to jump ahead. But um, I served as an elder in a church years ago where we had a, <coughs> a man, a married man, who was in an adulterous relationship. And we kind of went with him step by step through the church discipline process, and he, he refused to repent. And one of the other elders and I met with him, and it was obvious that he had absolutely no intention of repenting of his behavior. And so we took it back to the elders and said, well, we have reached the point where we are at the final stage of this. Uh, we need to bring him before the church. And if he doesn't repent, you know, we have to put him out. And one of the other elders members said, you mean like the Roman Catholic that excommunication thing? I said, yeah, that's, that's where the Bible said. I wouldn't use the Roman Catholic terminology in it, but we would put him out of the communion of, of the church. And the other elders did not agree with the two of us who met with him. They said, well, then we would lose the opportunity to uh, witness to him. I said, no, that's how you witness to him. That is the severity of this sin. It's not to punish him, although it is punishment. We want to restore him to right fellowship. And that's how the church is supposed to do this, by putting him out. And we didn't. And he went on, he left anyway. And his wife, disgusted with the church's poor handling of the issue, left also. <laughs> You know, in that instance, it all played itself out to the worst possible scenario because the church did not have the courage to, to go forward with what the Bible says here. It's not just for him and his wife, but it's for the church in the entirety. You know, it talks about the leaven here, a little leaven leavens the whole. And I remember 20-ish uh, years ago, I saw a, a man under church discipline for adultery. And, like, it was super uncomfortable for me, like, thinking of myself in that position it was a stern warning to me as a young man. I don't, I, I don't, I don't want to be in that seat. I don't want that, you know, yeah. discipline coming on me. And so it, you know, it's a, it's a warning to everybody else as well. Well, that is well said, Nate. When that happens, every one of us should be uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. We should all be uncomfortable in that situation. Because really, it's only by the grace of God that the rest of us are not up there too. That's right. I mean, really. 
This is the first church I've ever been in, and I've been in in my almost my whole life that practiced church discipline. The first time it happened, I was in shock. I just, I, uh, is this right? Is this what's supposed to happen? But I mean, I it is truly, but it's yeah, mm-hmm. and. You know, scripture even t- in the case of a leader in the church, an elder in particular, if they're found in, you know, there got to be at least two witnesses to it. But when they're brought before the congregation, you know, the Bible even says what you said, Nate. It's, it's even people in those high positions of authority. It is a stern warning to the congregation. Look, even these people can fall under church discipline. Take warning. You know, it should put some fear in you that, as R.C. Sproul said, God plays for keeps. God plays for keeps. This, we're not playing for funsies here. This is life and death stuff, spiritually speaking. And it's, it's to be taken seriously. And there's a cost to following Christ. And he says that at the very beginning. And he, I mean, he's very blunt, but it's not going to be easy. And so that means turning away from everything that you used to be and everything that the world says is right and true. And so if people, and it's so it's hard, but a lot of people don't want to do the hard thing. And that is discipline. That is whether it makes your reputation feel too unwelcoming or unloving or unacceptable, following, following God's word, following what God says to do being obedient to Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, it is to be Christ-like. So it does mean cutting off the sin and cutting it out. A cost, a price to pay. Not nearly as as expensive what was paid for us. Right. Not nearly the same cost. Bob, Bob, do you think there's an aspect of when churches reach a certain size of congregation that the church discipline kind of falls by the wayside? Oh, yes. It's been, it's been my experience in the yeah. churches that I've grown up with that when big churches don't typically practice church discipline for whatever reason. It, you never see people brought before the body to be disciplined in a large church with you know thousands of members. I have been an elder in two churches prior to being here, one of them being a very large church. And we did practice church discipline, but it was, I just felt like we were standing in the surf. You know, you'd you'd catch one every now and then. Uh, And as churches get bigger like that, it does, I think, create the importance of small groups and having people in smaller groups that will hold one another accountable. But I, 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 don't, I just, I'm not sure about the whole mega church thing, mm-hmm. Shane, regard that. It's just very difficult for the leadership in the church to be aware of, w- of what all's going on. Uh, it's kind of a, a new phenomenon. Dan? I, I think to that point, the need for transparency within each one of us mm-hmm. to be willing to, you know, expose ourselves to God's word and to the teaching and being under the teaching of God's word, James 5 has a very poignant passage that says confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. 
And I think that it's very easy to hide. Mm -hmm. And while it's easy to hide in a larger congregation, it is not impossible. And many of us have seen <coughs> the covering of sin and the hypocrisy even in small congregations. That's right. And we would hope that through the, the teaching and encouragement of our church, that each of us as individuals would reach the level of maturity that we would want, that we would desire, that we would do exactly what that scripture says, that we would hold ourselves accountable. And when we catch ourselves doing something that's inappropriate, that we would confess it, now, not to the church, you would confess it to someone that you have a relationship with that you know would hold you accountable. You know, being a, a golf pro, uh, the rules of golf, it's crazy. There's no referee in golf. You are to hold yourself accountable to the rules. If you create, if you violate one of the rules of the game, you're supposed to call that on yourself. You know, the... the famous golfer back in the 20s and 30s, Bobby Jones, he never was a pro, he was the best player in the world by far, called himself, called a, self on a, uh, called a penalty on himself one time for accidentally moving his ball. And, and some friends said, you know, Bobby, why did you do that? No one saw that. He said, I did. Good story. I want to come back to the uh, cost to pay. Uh, I had a, an issue uh, last Monday morning in a men's group that I'm in, and uh, there's seven of us. And one guy is 86 years old, and he lives in a senior citizen housing uh, development just west of Cheddar's. And we were discussing these kinds of issues, sinful issues that the church tolerates. And he said, well, my wife and I have had a disagreement about something. And the issue is there are a lot, and I'm not exaggerating, there are a lot of senior citizen couples in that development, you know where I'm going with this, mm. Stephanie's already nodding, yeah. <laughs> that are not married, that are living together. Because the laws of the land, our government encourages it because of social security laws. So they can live together and, and it's much more economical for them, price to pay, cost. And, and my friend was kind of defending it. And his wife was saying, said, Glenn, that's sin. And he said, well, they're old. They probably aren't engaged in sexual activity. And the other guys in our group said, come on, Glenn. <laughs> you know, but even if they weren't, why would that be wrong? Fraud. Fraud. Fraud for what? Yeah. Because God says it is. They're not married. It gives the appearance of wrongdoing. Right. It does not pass the standard that God would put on that relationship. So it's better to pay the cost, even though it, it financially it's hurtful to you. And, and uh, he said, well, 
Anita's going to be really pleased to hear that you guys are ganging up on me about this. <laughs> It'll come back up again tomorrow morning. I'm, I'm confident of that. So. You can tell them we were talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I had a reference here of something. Understanding that church discipline starts with church leadership rather than just the members, right? That that conversation there with your brother or whatever it might be, you know, those first two steps of Matthew 18 often are just brothers and sisters who love one another speaking into each other's lives. Because um, most of the time, I'm not the one who sees me sin. I need my wife or my friend or my buddy or somebody to point that out because I'm blind to it. You know, yeah. The very nature of sin is deception. So the reason church discipline doesn't happen is because we don't love each other enough to step on each other's toes. Boy, is that the truth. I, uh, <clears throat> there was an elder at CFC, Dave Jones is his name. He's one of the most godly men I've ever been around. He was just, I mean, he when he got up to talk, it was like he poured gasoline on himself and set himself on fire. He was so on fire for the Lord. And I remember when he was leaving, uh, I mean, he literally jumped up on the conference table because we were dealing with a, a sinful issue in that church where it was coming under church discipline. And he said, if you all ever even get a hint that I would be doing something like this, he said, if you don't come and drag me out of bed in the middle of the night, you don't love me enough. That's how seriously he and we should consider sin, that we would love one another enough to uh, hold one another to that standard. Um, why is it such an unusual thing in this church today? You know, we've talked about it. Second Timothy 4, uh, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Somebody said fear of man back there early on. And I was thinking the, the fear of being sued in this day is yeah. a real thing in a church. And in the society. In Dan's small group, he has a small group that meets on Wednesday night and on Friday we're studying the Sermon on the Mount and we were discussing this just Wednesday night about being salt and light in the world. You know, the world's a dark place and, and we are to be light in there. We are to be something different than what the culture is. Uh, you know, salt, two functions there, makes stuff taste better. It's also a preservative and that was figurative things in that are important. So Marianne and I have been batting this back and forth. We have a message board sign in our business. And frequently, Marianne would uh, have things put up on the message board sign that scroll scripture on it. And 
a week or so ago, I said, you know, maybe we ought to just put, what is it, Genesis 1, 27, male and female, he created them on that sign. And Marianne said, you know, that'll probably put a target right on us if we do that. And we haven't done it yet. And, you know, I don't even want to be gentle as a dove or lamb or whatever and wise as a serpent in what we do. But something is direct about that. I mean, this, this shouldn't be something controversial, for crying out loud. But it is. It, and you can get canceled. You could get picketed. You could get the windows knocked out of your business over it. But there's a cost to pay for being a Christian, for being salt and light in a fallen world. In there. So maybe I'm painting myself into a corner here. <laughs> Marianne's shaking her head. There you go again. Yeah. Yeah. You what did you say, Caleb? How well have you invested till now? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brother Walter, what was that reference, Second Timothy? Uh, four. First Timothy. Uh, first Timothy, sorry. No, se- Second Timothy. Oh. Second Timothy four, three and four. Three and four. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> okay, question four. What do you make of Paul's seemingly strong language in verse five? You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. And he's talking about one who's decided to be a slave to sin. So he's delivered over to Satan. There's nothing that, if we can't change his mind, then only his death could bring about his repentance when he sees Christ, if he's truly saved. Could come to that, I suppose. But what do you think that phrase, destruction of the flesh, means? There might be some layers to this. I was thinking it was his real physical death. That would certainly be at the far end. And I've heard brilliant expositors say that. It could just be things that are attacking his body that would, you know, destroy his pride, that would make him <clears throat> feel shameful that these things were happening to him. That's it. Yeah. Other ideas? Whatever it is, its end goal is repentance so that a spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. That's the key issue in all this, isn't it? Repentance. Repentance. Old men have stories. I have a very, very close friend, young man, who kind of looked at me as a spiritual father. And he was in my Monday morning group prominent businessman in Evansville who we discovered was involved in an adulterous relationship. And I met with him privately uh, several times. Marianne and I, his wife came to us for counsel. And he, like that guy I mentioned earlier, refused to repent was pretending to shed crocodile tears 
uh, false humility in that. And, and I called him down for it. I said, stop pretending that your heart's sick over your sin, because you are not. I know you well enough. You are trying to tell me what you think I want to hear. It's not getting through. I know you well enough to know that you're lying to me. And we went, his pastor and I met with him, and he refused to repent. So our small group put him out. The church put him out, and I don't think he cared. He wanted to do what he wanted to do. This has been about four years ago, and we prayed that God would take away this fleshly desire from him to sin and restore him to fellowship. Now, I don't know if this, I told him, I said, I don't know if you're saved or not. Oh, yeah, I'm saved. I said, well, then act like it. Start behaving like a Christian because you're not. You cannot behave this way and claim that you're a Christian. So maybe he just fell into a sinful season in his life. Maybe he was one of those bad soils. I don't know the man's heart. But I've watched what's happened to him over the, the years. And God has stripped away things from him. He may end up in federal penitentiary over things he's done. And if that restores him, so be it. I hope that doesn't happen. But he is it he is you know that picture of a cat hanging on with one claw to a rope that's where he is in his life right now squandered fortunes money and lived this licentious lifestyle and God has stripped him of it so that's what I hope is happening here with him that he will be restored uh, I ran into him just accidentally uh, he doesn't live here in Evansville anymore but I ran into him uh, literally We're, met at a corner and he when he saw me he grabbed me and hugged me and he said I love you Bob I said well I love you too how are you doing he said it's bad it's really bad praise God yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean Jesus said it's better it's better to take your eye off cut your hand off than go to the pit of hell yeah and so that's what we're saying like I want Satan to destroy and kill all of that in you to lead you to repentance yeah. The way of the transgressor is hard. There's no other path but destruction. It is really hard to. It's really hard for the sinner, and it's hard for the Christians around that sinner to 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 do these things, because it looks like we're being so harsh and hurtful. But that's not our objective, yeah, Dan. So the flesh in the scriptures referred to both the physical body, the Corinthians. Some of them died because. They did not honor and respect the Lord in the Lord's table. Yes. We know about the couple who in the early portion of the church lied to the Holy Spirit and they died. Yeah. But in addition to the physical body, there is that sinful remnant of, of, of an inclination towards sin that is also referred to as the flesh in the scriptures. So you have both this sinful remnant that Paul talks about in Romans 7 you know, that has to die. And that's the challenge and call to each one of us. Yeah. Yeah, thanks for expanding that to the bigger picture for us, too. Paul used question five 
Paul uses a metaphor of leaven to show how the man in the congregation was negatively impacting the entire church. What should the church do with the offender instead of being proud of their tolerance of his sin? We've kind of already answered this, but let's, let's, let's just beat it to death while we're at it. Well, according to the scripture, we should cleanse out the old leaven. Cleanse out the old leaven. That you may be a new lump. Yeah. You know, the, another kind of a street language for that is a bad apple spoils a dozen. <laughs> You know, get the bad one out so that the rest will be preserved. I had a scripture reference here. Once again, 2 Timothy 2, uh, 14 to 17. Um, Remind them of these things and charge them before God, not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for, all, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Leaven. Just crazy bickering within the church body just spreads and defiles many. You know, the Bible says, you know, as best as possible with you, be at peace with everyone, lest a root of bitterness spring up and defile many. And we see that happening over just crazy little issues sometimes that really don't amount to anything. And we'll get into that in the next chapter, chapter 6, about that, about how to, how to resolve those issues within the church. But it takes a lot of humility. A lot of humility to, to accomplish these things. Once again, there's a price to be paid. Uh, sometimes a financial price, some, but mostly just the price of our own pride, of kind of humbling ourselves with one another. Make sense? Once again, the idea of leaven, either the the guilty person either at some point must repent or be put out. Uh, question six. What's the purpose of church discipline for the individual in sin and the church? Yeah, we've talked about it well, once again. Remember, this is a key issue. The purpose is always restoration. The purpose isn't punishment. Punishment is the means to the end because there is certainly punishment to it, to put someone out of the fellowship. But it's not that you want them out there. You want them to recognize the seriousness of what they've done so that they can be restored spiritually, physically. Glad Dan brought that up back in the church. We want them back in. And I have seen this work in such remarkably wonderful ways, too, when you follow it correctly. We had a guy in one of the other churches I was in who disobeyed the direct 
uh, council of the elders and married a woman that they told him, do not marry that woman. And he did anyway. So we called him in for the whole group of elders for discipline. And one of the elders asked, so what you were doing, you were asking God to bless your disobedience rather than your obedience. And he said, that's right. That is what I did. And I am heart sick over it. And I knew this guy. I did not expect that response from him. I thought he would very arrogantly defy the elders. He did not. He was so humbled in that. He said, I am heart sick over what I've done. But now I've done it. Now what do we do? He said, I was just so lonely that I... I love this woman, and I, I went ahead and did what I wanted to do, knowing that you all had told me not to do it. So we told him not to take communion for six months, and it's amazing how God blessed that man in his marriage in spite of what he did. But it, he was so humble in how he responded to that. It was certainly was not the point. He repented, and where we did not have to put him out. And it created a, a relationship between that guy and me that I, I never thought that I would have had with him. He was a sweet guy, really. So it, sometimes it works. Most of the time, they just take off and go somewhere else. And we have had that happen where we would send a letter to the church where we found out they went and said, this man was put out of fellowship, and we would, we would request that you not accept them in your fellowship. That the sting of what has happened here would, would go with them. We want them to repent. We want them restored. But, you know, they shop around, find a church, and that's typically what happens. But that doesn't mean we, we, we qualify or uh, dilute what we're going to do because of what they might do. We do what the Bible tells us to do, don't we? Yeah, good. That reminds me of what God says. He says, I would prefer you to be either cold or hot. I don't want any of this in between. So if you're playing with sin, you're in, in the middle there. God says, no. Get it all the way out or become all the way holy. And then also in Hebrews 12, 10, um, we see God disciplines us for our good. Why? So that we may share in his holiness. Right. If you get all the sin out, then you don't have any sin. Good. Thanks, Kobe. Great teaching from a new member there. Yeah. You're going to remember a whole week now, man. <laughs> what I recently discovered, I was very confused on, is that putting them out, it doesn't mean that they have to stop coming to church. Do you agree with that? Yes and no. Removing them from the fellowship doesn't mean that, because I was like, someone came to church today, that's not. Talk on you, Stephanie, that's a hard question. I know, I was like, I didn't even, I was like, oh, I don't understand this at all. You know, we are going to get into some really deep weeds further into this stuff on issues of marriage Mm -hmm. and divorce. And this question is one where I'm going to give you a chicken answer on it. Each one of these things has to be taken individually. You, 
I, and it, I think it, it is a great burden. I wish Dan were still here. Yeah. It's a great burden on the elders to be discerning and wise about what you, how you handle this. And so much of that just depends on the individual circumstances and where that person is. Now, I know here there have been a couple times where they were taken out of the fellowship. They were no longer a member, but they were encouraged to still attend. I tend to be a little stiffer on that, uh, but I wasn't an elder. I wasn't in the meetings with these people to see what the individual issues were. I don't know. But I tend to think, unless there are some mitigating circumstances that would dictate otherwise, which could be, they should be put out, and that means out. Mm -hmm. Okay. It's a little bit about getting rid of the leaven. Yeah. I think that's a good point, Brad. Just because legally they're no longer a member doesn't mean they're still in there yeah. doing their their bad stuff. Stirring yeah. up strife and yeah. yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, could send a very strong message <coughs> to the rest of the church. Yeah, just for me personally, I would have to have some pretty strong mm-hmm. evidence to the contrary that they should be allowed to stay and and worship there. It, it would have. To, I think it would be. An exception to the rule, not the rule. Mm-hmm. Well, just like Stephanie, it, it leads to confusion among the other members. Yeah. I thought they were being disciplined. Why are they back? Okay, I, I'm going to take us a little late because I don't want to have to start with this question next <laughs> week. Okay? Because we'll start in Chapter 6 next week. But we may be running a little late because this one's a big deal. When it comes to judging others, how is our responsibility to people inside the church different from those outside the church? You know, it's 12 and 13. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil from inside. Hey, Nate, pass these out. Look, there's so much misconception in the church about judging Judge not lest you be judged. Yeah. There are all sorts of reasons why we're supposed to judge. And this little sheet may help you with it. We'll hand out here. We've got to be very careful in judging. But, but let's answer the question here that comes out of 12 and 13. We can't hold unbelievers and unbelievers equals the world. And we can't hold the world to standards that they don't even know or that they don't believe. We shouldn't expect the world to be obeying God if they don't believe in God. That's right. Thank you, sir. I think, I think it is going off what Nate said earlier. Like, the reason we have church discipline, like, like what Nate was saying, is you have to show the body the seriousness of sin. And you do that by publicly disciplining somebody who will not repent. Because if you don't, you're doing a great disservice to everyone else. And you're, like Nate was saying, you're basically telling everyone else that this lifestyle that they're living or this grievous sin that they're doing is okay. And we're, it's, we're, we're tolerating it. 
and it's a it's a it's a great disservice to everyone else you know that's in the box. Exactly. You know the things we are. I mean, it's right here. The th- certainly the things we are to judge are other believers in the church that are wandering. Uh, we are called to do that, and try. We can't expect unbelievers to to behave like Christians. Now there are some unbelievers that that by common grace live some pretty doggone good-looking lives. Sometimes better than Christians. But they're motivated. You know, God doesn't accept that says so filthy rags so he's not getting the honor for that uh, this same friend the older man living in out there in the senior citizen apartments he's a golf player and he has been a wonderful witness at Fenwick golf course for years and he plays with this group of old guys and almost maybe none of them are Christians and but Glenn is salt and light in that little fallen environment there. But he complained to me. He said, "Bob, he said I just can't stand to listen to the way those guys talk." He said their language is just horrible, and they're using God's name. And I said, "Glenn, that's what they do. You can't expect better behavior out of them." I said, "You got saved when you were ten years old. You've never known anything, but." a godly life personally and I've watched you live it I said I didn't get saved I was 36 years old I was one of those guys that was the language I used and you got to just love those guys and let them know you care about them if you start wagging your finger at them you know they will find some reason to call you a hypocrite just love them the best you can and he led a couple of those guys to the Lord just see the obedience is now certainly they recognized at some point, they were uneasy using that kind of language in front of him, which, you know, it sold, sold that he was being salt there. He was seasoning that culture, that little culture there, that golf group. Pretty cool stuff that we Christians are capable of through the power of the Holy Spirit. Not, we don't want to claim a whole lot of credit in that, uh, but through our obedience, people get saved. We look different than the fallen world. They, there was something about him that they all liked. And they all resented each other. <laughs> Pride. Pride. Yeah. They all thought they were better golfers than what they were. Uh, whatever. So, um, But in, in any issue of us judging, the thing we've got to be careful about is that we don't set ourselves up kind of as a standard that that then we become self-righteous and prideful. That that then we be it it becomes judgmentalism then. We gotta be very humble in our judgment and cautious about it, knowing that we too fall, could fall prey to the same temptation. And in in correcting one another, you know, the Bible says do that gently, knowing you too could create could fall prey to that same sin yourself. So it's a, it's a cautious thing in, in doing this, even with one another, but certainly not those outside the church. Make sense?